0: We're kind of on the tail end of a series entitled, Am I Doing This Right? And uh, just so, just to kind of bring you up to speed, the, my heart for this series has been when I was in my office uh, back in May, when we took about six weeks off, I was thinking, like, what, when I was a young adult, because uh, if you don't know me, I'm not a young adult, um, I know, surprise, uh, what, what would have been helpful? What would have what been nice? And I remember in my early to mid to late 20s, I remember... Spiritually in my faith, just kind of uh, flailing at times, not really knowing exactly what am I supposed to be doing here. Like, what am, am I walking the right path? Am I doing the right things? Am I experiencing um, Jesus in my faith? Like, what is going on? What should I be looking for? And so, that's where this series kind of came out of. It's just my heart to say, hey. As you walk through your young adult years, let's give you some guideposts along the way that will help you say, you know what, yeah, I'm heading in the right direction. Or maybe the other side of that and saying, you know what, what Andy talked about week two or week five or whatever, like that's, I've never done that. And so this is where we've been. And so maybe if that's you, if you're saying, you know, that's not the path I'm on, maybe it brings some questions like, well, why not? Should I be? What should I be adding to my life, my faith, all that kind of stuff to kind of help steer you in a direction that's leading towards Christ? And so here's where we've been. The very first week of June, we talked when, and we just simply defined discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And we tried to make it as simple as possible. It's was basically a student. You're a student of Jesus. He's the master teacher. You are the, you're the disciple. You're the student. So we sit before him, we read his scriptures, not to have a better day, not to get a good Instagram pic of my quiet time, but to learn from the master. To learn to say, Jesus, teach me. Because the goal of the Christian faith is not just to be saved, but it's to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so it starts with understanding, well, who am I as a disciple? What does that mean? And then the second week, we had to start off by talking about salvation. Like being a disciple, the first step in in being a student of Jesus Christ and following him is surrendering to him, is to come to the realization that in and of myself, I can do nothing about my broken condition. There's not enough church services I can do. There's not enough service projects I can do. There's nothing I can do outside of Jesus Christ to become the righteousness of Jesus. And so we talked about salvation, that the first step in it being a disciple is surrendering your life to Jesus and following him. And then we talked the next week about prayer, that, God, that not only does Jesus um, show us how to pray, he tells us how to pray. That when Jesus was on earth, he spent time talking with his dad. And as followers of Jesus, students of the master, then we are to do what he did and instructed us to do. Then the next week, we talked about the practice of actually reading and applying the Bible to your life. Not just reading it to check off a list, but actually reading it to absorb it and then letting it affect our everyday life. And then we followed that up by talking about being committed to community. That as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called not to be a Lone Ranger Christian. We're not called to just say, you know what? I don't need church. I don't need people. It's just me and God. Well, that's not how we are created. We are created to be in community. And time and time and time again, throughout the New Testament, we see a command to love one another, to forgive one another, to pray for one another. And you see this long list of things that says, over and over, you're supposed to be with one another. And in Hebrews, it says, don't stop meeting together as some in the habit of doing. So there's the assumption that we, should, we are meeting together. And so we talked about being a part of community, not just a big community like this, but maybe even more so smaller groups of people where you can actually be known by somebody. And I shared a bunch of statistics about how we live in the most lonely time in human history, the most connected but most unknown. And we're craving that in in the Gospels, uh, and the letters of Paul tell us time and time again that we are to be in community. And then last week, Bill did a great job of talking to us about a, having a Christian worldview. That as we give our lives to Christ, as we pray, as we study God's word and apply it, as we go to community group and discuss it, as we do these things, the way that we view the world changes. We start seeing the world the way Jesus sees the world. My wife and I were talking this week, and she... Uh, sent me a text, and she's like, Andy, there is no such thing as a Christian worldview. I was like, what are you talking about? Uh, Who are you? (laughs) What's happening? And she's like, there's only one view, and it's God's view. And I'm like, okay, yes, I see what you did there. Yes, it's God's view. We need, as Christians, to constantly be asking ourselves, am I seeing this situation? Am I seeing this issue? Am I seeing this baggage? Am I seeing this sin, whatever it may be, the way God sees it. And as scary as that may sound, because when we start asking that question, what we realize is God and I disagree on some things. And if that's never happening for you, if you never read scripture and feel that twinge in your heart like, ooh, that, that's a little close to home, or you hear a sermon that you're, and you're like, wow, that's too soon, uh, not, no, not no Not yet. Like if we never feel that conviction in our life, then we have to be asking: Have we created a gospel of your own making that God just agrees with whatever you think, whatever you believe, and whatever you do? And that comes back to worldview. And Bill said he had that big chair. He said, "Who's sitting on the throne of your life?" Have we actually put Jesus on the throne and we have gotten off the throne? Or are we trying to share the sea with him, like, hey, I'll give you this part, I'll, 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 I'll you know, keep control of this area? Is our worldview changing how we see the world? And so we're going to move on. We've got a couple weeks left of this series, but before we get into our main meat tonight, uh, I, I wanted to start with a little bit of a story. Um... You guys are all adults. Some of you are older adults, and some of you are younger adults, and some of us are old adults. And one of the things that, that there's certain things that happen when you become an adult. Um, Some of them are wonderful. Like you get paid for your your time, you're no longer in college, like you get a paycheck. You live on your own, not under mom and dad's rules anymore. You can stay out whenever you want. You can eat cookie dough as late as you want, which I believe we're doing tonight, later. Um, So like we get to do some really fun things. But one of the things that happened to me that was the first moment where I was like, okay, this adulting thing maybe isn't that cool. It's when uh, we got married and we had to buy our washer and dryer. And that is an expensive purchase and it is not fun because you can't do anything with it. You can't watch it, it doesn't entertain you, it does nothing for you except cost you money and work. Because even though we had a washing machine, like you still gotta take the stuff, Put it in, separate colors, put it in, you know, do all this stuff, transfer it so it doesn't get moldy. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you move it to the dryer and you push the button and then it stops midway through, but you don't know because the lint thing's full and then you got to run it again. And then it magically goes away back in your closet, right? No, it doesn't. You got to take it out, take it to the living room or the kitchen table and you got to fold it and then it's all done. No, it's not. It's still going then you got to take it and actually put it away. Like, there's just some things in adulting that are not fun. Another thing that I realized that adults do that you never do as a kid, unless you, like, are paid to do it because it's a chore, but as an adult, you just kind of have to do it, is gardening. Like, right? Like, there's, there's mowing, and there's trimming, and there's planting, and even every once in a while, there's killing. Like, you got to kill something, a weed, or maybe a mole, or, or rabbits, or something. Like, you got to... All the, you do, they'll eat your hostas. People, come on, this is real adulting, and if you don't know what a hosta is, you're not an adult, all right. So look that up. That's the process that we cultivate a garden. Like th- there's this process, all right? Springtime comes along, Lowe's and Home Depot. All of a sudden, you see there's mulch everywhere, and there's flowers outside, and and they, there's just like whispers, like, "Come waste your money, <laughs> come on beautiful flowers that will die soon," like. Like, and then we all do it, right? We go, to, we go to Lowe's, we go to Home Depot, we load up the cart, we buy a new shovel, and we're like, oh, this is going to be great. My house is going to be gorgeous. And because uh, you, you know, we've already done the inside. We've already gone to Ikea and Target and spent a buttload of money to make the inside Pinterest worthy. And then we we're like, then we drive up, and like, oh, the outside's not that good looking. And so we got to go to Lowe's, and we got to go get all the stuff. And we get, you know, the mulch that makes your, covers the gross, nasty red dirt in Oklahoma so that it looks lush. And wonderful, and so there's a process there. You go, you buy stuff, you come home and you realize that the dirt is hard as cement. So you sprinkle some water on it and then you start getting, getting your uh, shovel and you start tilling up the, 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 the dirt so that you can actually plant something in there. And you maybe get some topsoil and you get the hole, you dump some topsoil in there and you put the plant in and then you dump it with Miracle-Gro because like, ah, oh, this is really gonna work because I know I'm not gonna take care of this. And so you just douse Miracle-Gro on it. And then there's that, and then when you're done, you step back from your garden, or the front flower bed, and you're like, my house is amazing. I am, I am like the Rachel Ray of gardening. Like, I'm, I'm really good at this. Look at, and then we take pictures, right? Look at my house, hashtag adulting, whatever. You know, you freshly mowed yard, and it just, you, you feel good, and you're like, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is, I'm an adult now. I'm going to go in and do laundry, And that's part of adulting. And so, but here's what ends up happening every single time. Is we plant that garden out front, and life gets busy, gets hot outside, and we're like, you know what? I'll water it tomorrow. Oh, I saw some weeds, but you know what? There's a game on. Okay, I'll do that tomorrow. And slowly but surely, that beautiful garden out front starts to get weeds in it and those weeds start grabbing the nutrients that the plants actually need and before you know it all of your flowers are dead not because you did anything other than keep it alive (laughs) and we do that with laundry too right we do the laundry And we're like, oh, I did it, it's folded, fantastic. Oh, I got to go, There, I got to go do something, we go do it. We come home, oh, I'm too tired, it's too late, I'll leave it for tomorrow. And then a week later, it's still on the kitchen table. Because we stop cultivating. We stop the process. Not on purpose, oftentimes for great reasons. But we all tend to do this in our life. We tend to drift and get complacent. I see it every year in my flower bed. I see it weekly on our kitchen table with our laundry. We get excited about something. We put a lot of effort towards it. Like, we see this all the time. Like, um, this isn't a foreign concept. It's like when you, when you do buy your first house, you get excited and then you live in front of it, but then you're going to have all your friends over and you're like, oh, I got to clean. I got to vacuum for the first time. Let's go unwrap that. And we, we clean the house because people are coming over. And then as soon as they leave, we're like, oh, sweet. I don't have to vacuum for three months. Awesome. At least the guys think that. Um, Or maybe you get a date. Somebody asks you on a date or you ask somebody on a date and you're like, oh, man, this first date. Okay, I'm going to shower. I'm going to maybe buy a new something to wear. I'm going to uh, try that cologne that mom got me for Christmas three years ago. I'm going to squirt a little bit. Right, and we and we and that happens the first couple of dates. It's like I'm gonna, we're going all the way here. I'm gonna look good. And then as you start dating and you're dating and dating and longer and longer and longer and longer, all of a sudden, we don't put as much effort into getting ready because we're like we know who we got. Right, this is where the, the term hashtag uh, dad bod came from. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like if I don't know if you don't believe me, but before I was married, I was ripped. Okay. That's Taylor, real funny. That wasn't supposed to be a joke, cake. Uh, <laughs> but what ends up happening is we get complacent. We, we, we've accomplished what we wanted to do, right? We planted the flower garden. We did the laundry. I got my date. I, I got married. Now I can just, well, okay, now I can eat whatever I want. do I want to try anymore. This is natural. I'm not trying, to, like, this is how life is. We tend to. To drift, And we tend to drift to complacency. And so I want to talk about tonight cultivating your faith. That's our topic tonight is cultivating your faith. And so I want to define the two words for you. The first one is cultivate. Uh, the definition for cultivate is this, to foster the growth of, to improve by labor, care, or study. To cultivate is to foster the growth of something. To foster it, to, to take care of it, to improve by labor, care, or study. So that's what we talk about. We're talking about cultivating our faith. We're talking about fostering the growth of our faith, improving, laboring for, caring for, and studying our faith. Now let me talk about the enemy of cultivation, and that is complacency. Okay, and this is the definition of complacency. I thought this was really good. Self-satisfaction especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. Self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiency. So we're gonna look at cultivating your faith tonight, and we're gonna be in, in the book of Second Peter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about this book. In this book, Peter explains that cultivating your faith means engaging it, adding to it, and resulting in the protecting of it. In this book, Peter uh, is most likely uh, in prison, waiting uh, his execution, which is shortly coming. Um, he's writing to a church that is unnamed. If you read through the book of 1 P- Peter and 2 Peter, it's not named, but he's writing to a church uh, that he has helped grow and foster and cultivate. And Peter's uh, two main aims in, in this book of 2 Peter are eternal life and Godliness. Moral and spiritual transformation now, and hope for life in the age to come, okay? So those are the two goals of Second Peter, is uh, moral and spiritual transformation currently, and hope for life in the age to come, after death. And so we're going to be in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. But before we get there, I'm going to do a little bit more of a runway tonight than I, I typically do. Okay, because we could just jump right into this text and, and get going, but I think it's really vitally important that we look very briefly at 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Let me read it to you. Peter's writing his people. He says, His divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, there's a lot of words in there. But I want to point out just a couple. In the very start, he says, his divine power has granted to us. He has done it for us. And then it says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own, himself. And has granted to us. See, it's God's activity to us. He has granted to us. He has called us. So in this, in this couple of verses, we're not really involved. We're just onlookers. Because God's doing all the work. And that is what the cross of Christ is all about. That Jesus Christ has gone to the cross and done the work for us. We couldn't do it. No amount of good works, no amount of service projects, no amount of church attendance, no amount of small groups. There's not enough stuff we could do to earn and achieve the righteousness of Christ. And it says God has granted us. He's already done it. One pastor wrote the idea this way. I thought this was amazing. So follow me. This is not original. I found it, and I I had to read it. So listen along. Listen along. If you are a prisoner of war in a concentration camp and you have lost hope and hopeless have thrown away your, your morality away, and you learn that a prisoner exchange is being planned, and you see the guard coming down the road pointing at, at individual prisoners and calling them to follow him to family and to freedom, it's not a mere piece of knowledge when he points at you and calls you, it's power. The power of hope surges through your body because you know you have been called. So when Peter says that the divine hope, power of hope and godliness flows through the knowledge of our call to glory, we can feel what he means. Because God has called you, you. Let's go. I've got freedom for you. Let's go. In that moment, there's not this like, "Mm, okay, that's good to know, thank you. No, you're like, yes, me? you called me? Like my name? Oh, let's do this. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's do it. That's the feeling that Peter's trying to get across here. That he has done everything for you. And he has called your name. And says, you, come on, let's go. I've got something for you. I've got freedom. I've got your family. If we could but see the glory and excellence of God... And know that our creator has approached us and said, you there, come, I'm gonna show you my glory and give you the eternal life to enjoy it. It would mean power, the power of hope and the power of godliness. You know, you and I both know from this experience, when you see the glory and the goodness and the love and the excellence of God most clearly, and you know he has set his affections upon you, then is when you have the power to live as you ought. I love that. I mean, the, the, the grace of, of Christ is not just for our saving. It's also our power to live. Does that make sense? Like, we're in prison. We're enslaved by our sin. And God says, I sent my son Jesus. You, come on out. Let's go. Yeah, you, Andy Roschall. Come on. Let's go. I've, I've taken care of it. It's on me. I want to share you with you eternity, and I want you to enjoy it forever. There's this joy and this hope. They're like, oh. Well, me? I get out of here? And that is where we find Peter in verse 5. Follow me. So that's where we're coming from, that God has granted us all things that we need that pertain to life and godliness, and it comes through an intimate knowledge of of, uh, Jesus Christ, who has called you to partake in the divine nature. And then he says this in verse 5, For this very reason that you have been called, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things, these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. The message paraphrase says it this way. I love it. I love the urgency here. Eugene Peterson writes, so don't lose a minute in building on what God has been, you've been given by God. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. They're working together. They're not individual, they're working together. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. There will be no complacency. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. You see, we do these things that we're about to talk about to continually remind ourselves of our position in Christ. Because if we don't, we will fall back into that, that complacency Of like, I gotta work it out, I gotta try harder, I gotta do it. So my first point tonight comes from verse five. Cultivating your faith means engaging your faith. The first step in in cultivating your faith in Jesus is to actually engage it in an intentional way. The first three words, or the first several words is for this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. We are partakers of the divine nature of God, but once we are made spiritual sons and daughters, growth in the Christian life doesn't just happen to us. It's not magic pixie dust that says, all right, you're just going to grow. There's no miracle grow for Christianity. Peter's saying, make every effort. We're supposed to give all diligence to walk with the Lord. I've always loved this line, that there is no such thing as standing still in anything. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. Staying still is a myth. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. And Robert and Glenda Lennon learned this lesson. In 1970, on Labor Day weekend, they took a little vacation to the Gulf of Mexico. This is a true story. They went out, they got a boat, they wanted to go spearfishing about two miles off the shore because it got pretty shallow. They're about eight feet deep. So they took a boat. They went out. Um, they uh, got all their gear together. And, and Glenda decided, you know what? It's hot. Robert, you're getting all the fishing stuff ready to go. I'm going to jump in for a little swim. So she jumps in, starts swimming around. She's you know, just swimming right around the boat. And she dives down to kind of look at the fish. And before you know it, she's like, oh, I need, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired. I need to go back to the boat. She pops up out of the water, and the boat is 50 yards away and she's kind of treading water and, and uh, she's, she realizes that the, the, although she's staying still, the boat is drifting farther and farther away. And She's not a strong swimmer. I mean, she's just a recreational swimmer. And so she starts to swim, you know, kind of frantically to get back to the boat. And she realizes that she's not making an ounce of advancement. In fact, the boat's getting farther and she starts shouting to Robert, I'm not getting any closer help. And he hears her. Now, luckily, her husband, Robert, was actually a competitive swimmer. And so he jumps in to go get her. And by the time he gets to her and they turn around, now the boat's 200 yards away. And they're two miles out from shore. And they had to make a decision. What do we do? The boat, like we're caught in a, in a current that is taking us out to the open sea. And so Robert, being the swimmer, he's like, I will, I will swim and I will go get the boat. I will come back and get you. Well, it took Robert six hours to swim back to the boat because he was swimming against the current and the current was drifting, taking the boat towards shore and pushing them out. Six hours. And so by the time he got back to the boat, it was dark. And he could no longer see Glenda. And he drove around and he could not find her anywhere. And so he thought, well, okay, I'll go back to shore and get more help and we'll come back out with more boats. And so that's what he did. He took the boat back into shore, came back out, they searched all night, couldn't find Glenda. So they went back in and came back out in the morning, refueled the boats. 20 hours later, they find Glenda. And she is still alive, and she is still floating 20 miles offshore. And she wasn't swimming, she was just floating. The current had taken her 20 miles offshore she traveled 18 miles in 20 hours she was all sunburned and obviously in a bad way but she made it but she had drifted 18 miles young adults if we don't engage our faith like glenda we will be taken by the current because don't let's not kid ourselves we live in a culture where there is an absolutely there is a current of our culture And it is going away from the cross of Christ. If we're not actively engaging our faith on a daily and weekly basis, we will be like Glenda and we will float and we'll be like, you know what? I'll just wait and see what happens. And before you know it, you're gonna be far, far away. There is a current in our culture and if we're not careful, alert and sober-minded as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, we will drift into complacency and be taken in whatever direction our culture wants all the while thinking we're okay. That's the crazy thing is Glenda had no idea that she was 18 miles farther than when she began. She just thought she was a couple hundred yards. 18 miles. A.W. Tozer says this, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Don't forget our definition of complacency. It's self-satisfaction. It's the, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm pretty good. That's self-satisfaction. And Peter is saying, no, 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 make every effort. And that brings me to my second point. In verse 5 and 7, cultivating your faith means supplementing your faith. He says in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. I'm not going to ask how many in here take supplements, but I did look it up online like why do we take supplements? It's not because we need them. It's because they help what's already there which takes me back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. God says, I have already granted you everything you need in Jesus. I have given you my Holy Spirit. Now supplement your faith. Add to it. Strengthen it. I think about building a house. If you've ever watched a house get built, um, it's interesting. It doesn't just drop out of the sky. It doesn't do that. One brick by one brick... The house gets built. And so if you're a new believer, let's get that first brick and set it down on the foundation that God has already granted you in Christ. The foundation of your faith is Jesus. He says, I've already granted you that. I've already called you out. Now walk with me. And let's stick that brick there and then the next one and the next one and the next one. And the next seven things that we're gonna go through are the bricks. Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, he says this, we are not earning our salvation. It is not man's effort that saves him. But on the other hand, grace saves no man to make him like a log of wood or a block of stone. Grace makes man active. God has been diligently at work with you. Now you must diligently work together with him. I love that. Grace saves no man to make him a stone block stationary, ineffective. That's not why God saved you. That's not why God has sent his son to die on the cross for you so that we could just be a log just sitting there bump on the log, right? God has saved us to work in us and through us for your good and his glory. And he's asked, he's inviting us to cultivate it with me. Come on, I've already done the work. I've already granted you salvation through my son Jesus. I've already given you my Holy Spirit. Come on, let's go. Let's cultivate this. Let's build it. And so he starts the list. He says, to faith, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge with self-control and with self-control steadfastness or perseverance and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and with brotherly affection with love. Zach, you can go, ahead and do, go, through, go with all of them. This first one is virtue. You could also say, some of your Bibles may say moral goodness or godly character. And I love how Peter starts with this one because this, this will probably be familiar with a lot of you. When maybe if you're a believer here tonight and you have given your life to Christ, you're saying, listen, the first thing, when I gave my life to Christ, you know what my first thing that I did was? I stopped cussing. That was the first thing. I was like, I need to to stop cussing. Like, I know I shouldn't do that. Godly character, virtue. Because here's the reality, is when the Holy Spirit enters your life, when God gives you his Holy Spirit, there's automatic conviction. I do a lot of weddings. And some of the weddings that I do, they want to do communion. And one of the things that I always tell them is, listen, um, Miss Bride, whatever you do, you do not handle the communion juice ever because you have a white dress on. And we don't want anything remotely possibly spilling on your dress. To me, that's this idea, is when the Holy Spirit comes into you, there's the holiness of God that takes residence up inside of you. And there are some things automatically that the Holy is like, whoa, whoa. Godly character, virtue, that's the first thing. There's some conviction that comes. The next thing is knowledge because virtue without knowledge would quickly turn into a self-made gospel and belief system. If we're just trusting ourselves, if we're just following our feelings, and I think this is what God would want me to do. I think this is who God is. Then slowly but surely we're going to build a faith built on our own opinions, not on the word of God. And so after virtue, he says, put on knowledge. And after knowledge, put on self-control. Like that's like, that knowledge may bring a new truth or a new conviction into your life that's gonna require self control. A new truth or conviction, we need to become self. Like, th- this was me in high school. Let me, let me back up. This was me in high school. Like, I, I was young, I was excited, I was a Christian, I was a youth group rat. You know, and so I, was, I would learn stuff from my youth pastor, and then I would, like, ooh, that's a great point. There are some people in my school that need to hear about that. You know, and, and I was that 15, 16 year old kid that was super judgmental. It's not gracious whatsoever. Like I, like, this true story, I've had to go back on Facebook and find my friends and apologize for some of the ridiculous ways I handled things. Because when I learned a new truth, when I got knowledge, I was so excited about it. But I hadn't practiced it, I hadn't obeyed it, I surely hadn't sat with it. I just wanted to tell everybody about it. You shouldn't do that, you should do this. That's who I was. And so he says, when we get knowledge, add self-control. The next one is endurance, perseverance. We talked about this last spring, it's this idea of grit. Because as we grow in our faith, as we cultivate our faith, and we're in God's word, we're learning who God is, he's convicting us, showing us who we are, there's going to be some things that we decide that we got to believe that, that are going to go against the current of our culture. And even more, a little closer to home, it's going to go against every ounce of your being. I don't want to do that. I like what I'm doing. But we read God's word and it's very clear that that's not the way of God. And so we need to find and build and cultivate endurance. And this is where community comes in. I'll go back to it every day, all day. You've got to be in community. Because when the Christian faith gets hard, when things happen that you're like, why God? Where are you in the middle of this? There is nothing better for your soul than to have your people around you who know you, who love you, who care for you, who speak truth into you. Because we need endurance. We need endurance. The next one is godliness. And this is simply a growing reverence and awe of God. That word that they, in, the, in the Greek is a reverence towards God. God. Like, are we cultivating an awe of our Lord and Savior? Or has he just become a couple holidays throughout the year, something I do on Sundays and something I do on Tuesdays? Or are we cultivating this like, you have granted me everything I need? You sent your son, one and only son, to die for me, to rescue me, and to be resurrected, that I may have a clean slate, that you have come into the prison of my sin and said, come on out, I've got you. I already paid for you, I took care of it. Come with me and live life. Are we in awe of that? We need to cultivate that awe of godliness. And the next one is brotherly affection. And I could just do the whole talk on being committed to community again here, but this is simply this idea of kindness towards fellow believers. The book of John says, listen, love one another. This will be the mark on your life that you are my disciple if you love one another. The world should see how we love one another and know, oh, they're a Christian. Look how they love one another. Care for each other. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. I mean, it just goes on and on. Encourage one another. Confess to one another. Look how they do it. And then lastly, it ends with love, and that word love is the agape, and it has the sense of affection, goodwill, and benevolence towards all, that our love towards this world should be characterized. We cultivate a love for one another and for God's people all over the world, because God has created every single one of them. It's easy to see a person as an issue. It's easy to see them as a platform. It's easy to see them as an enemy. It's easy to see them as a political affiliation. But they are people that were created in God's image, and God knit them together just like he did you. And Peter's saying, cultivate this. Make every effort to love. You see, when it comes to cultivating, we got to feed what we want to grow and starve what we want to die. Feed what you want to grow. If you want your faith to grow, feed your faith. If you want your sin and selfishness to die, then make every effort to do so. Because it's already paid for. You've heard me say it before. Jesus did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to set you free from the sin that has caught you. He wants to set you free. So work with him. Take the shackles off that we put on ourselves. And lastly, my third point and last point is cultivating your faith means protecting your faith. Verse eight and nine says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Cultivating your faith means protecting your faith. If we are doing these things in increasing measure, did you get what it said? It will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful i don't know if, there, if we did a survey in this room i don't know if one of us would say i would love to have a faith in christ that is unproductive ineff- inefficient and ineffective that's what i would i would prefer that no we come to the cross because we're like god do something in me and then do something through me for your kingdom like your generation, the studies have been done. You are the most um, philanthropic generation to ever come around. Like everybody's dream job is uh, I want to graduate and maybe work for a nonprofit. Like that's just what, that's your whole generation. I just want to work for a nonprofit because you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And in our faith, this is what we're going for here God, do something in me. He has already done it. Now do something through me. And he says, if these are increasing in our our life, it will protect you from being unfruitful and ineffective. Peter is saying, if you want to be effective and fruitful, add to your faith godly character, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, kindness, and love. Does it sound familiar? If you've ever read Galatians 5... These are the fruits of the spirit people. Peter says, "I have God has already granted you everything you need to live a life of godliness, to live a life of a fruitful and productive faith. He has given you his holy spirit, and the fruit of his holy spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control. It's already there. We've got to cultivate it. Got to cultivate it. Got to Water the ground, soften up the soil, and get into it. Cultivate your faith. Benjamin Hayes, or Mays, he was an educator and a, and a pastor. He said this, the tragedy of life is often not in our failure, but rather in our complacency. Not in our doing too much and failing at it, but rather in our doing too little. Not in our living above our ability, but rather in our living below our capacities. So what do we do with this? One truth and two questions. Here we go. The truth that you need to walk out of here with tonight, believing and knowing this is true, is following Christ means we are to be cultivating our faith. God did not save you to be a block of stone. He did not save you to be a log sitting on the ground. He created you and saved you and rescued you to renew you, restore you, and then send you out into the world to be the good news. Following Christ means we are to be cultivating our faith. First question is are you making every effort to grow spiritually? Are you making every effort that you know to make to grow spiritually? And if not, why not? You need to wrestle, rest, we need to wrestle with that question. And the second question is what does it mean for you tonight, tomorrow, to respond in obedience to 1, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9? Are you putting forth every effort to cultivate your faith? I would dare say, if you're anything like me, your cultivation of your faith connects straight to your comfort and convenience. I will cultivate until it's uncomfortable. I will cultivate until it's inconvenient. I've heard way too many people in the cross-crossings, not just in this room, not in our young adult, just across I can't do small group anymore. We're just too busy. Really? We stop cultivating because we're too busy. We prioritize something over cultivating our faith. So are you making every effort to grow spiritually? Why not? And what does it look, mean for you to respond in obedience? We're about to go into our 122nd time, but I'll, let me just finish with this. As a believer, someone who has surrendered their life to the love and authority of Christ, you have been given the land and you've been given the tools to build. Start building. Young adults, start building now. Start building your faith and cultivating your faith. Make yourself at home in your faith. Do you ever feel like you're a stranger within your own faith? I know I do sometimes. I'm like, I just don't feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the answers to all the questions. I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking about it because I don't feel comfortable in my own home. Start building. God has already granted you the land. He's given you the tools. Build a house for the Holy Spirit who resides in you. Peter is simply saying God has granted you all that you need. Build up your faith, live out your faith, and you will have a productive and fruitful faith. So we're going to go into 120 seconds, which is just simply a fancy way of saying we're going to give you two minutes. Just to sit with these questions. Zach, if we could leave these on the screen um, and, and just drop the lights. Just take 120 seconds and pray through these questions. God, show me where in my life I need to cultivate. God, show me the things that I put before you that keep me from cultivating. Give me the strength, give me the courage to make a virtuous change in my life, to get into your word and know you. I'll give you 120 seconds.